right, so welcome to Suggested Donation. I'm Edward Minoff. I'm Tony Serenai. And we're here with Mark D'Alessio. Hello. And Hello. Jay Braun. Hi, guys. I want to say, is it Mark D'Alessio American anymore? Yeah, or it's Americanized. Expat? Expat? My, they arrived uh, at Ellis Island. They took out the apostrophe, so it's D'Alessio American. It, but you're not American anymore. You, no. you, you, right. like, you land here like Sergeant landed here. <laughs> True. You're, you're, Mark, I'm American. I, I only have an American passport. I've lived abroad for... I think 26. Damn right, you only 40. have American But now that you're married passport. to Tina, do you have, are you getting a Croatian passport? Are you going to get dual citizenship? Uh, no, I hadn't really thought about it. I mean, I was in Italy for 20 years. I never got an Italian passport. Did you have so. to do any sort of like visa work? or I mean, did you, you were just there illegally? <laughs> <laughs> is this thing on? Um, <laughs> this is on the record. They Senator. just saw your name and they're like, Delacio, hey, paisano. You know, I did become legal at a certain point in uh, 2003. I paid a little fine, and so I feel I'm completely <laughs> legit, <laughs> above legit board. Now. Yeah, but uh, the Italians didn't really care. Yeah, they don't really care. <laughs> That's the great th- uh, thing about Italy is that you can go there and almost anything goes. You're there like, used yeah, to not be passport fine. control at the Florence airport. So when I came, like I was worried about it, but then it was like, wait a sec, they they don't even they never stamped my passport or like a lot of time when the line was too long, in, they would sort of just say, okay, all the Americans, you can just go. A so, long time. I remember. It's all changed, probably. I remember backpacking through Europe when I was a kid, and you'd have like the Euro Pass, and they would have the fill in the blank, mm-hmm. you know, and you can you'd have like a, a ten spot fill in wherever you're going dates on on the Euro Pass, and um, of course Australians, which were they were the best at like telling you how to get over, <laughs> and they were like, I, I met some Australians on the road, and they were like, here you go, man, and it was a erasable pen. And I think it was a 10-trip <laughs> uh, URL pass, and I think I got, like, 20 out of it because they were just, like, just erase it. But I remember going to— Euro- Europeans are on the honor system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and people who are not of that continent are like, oh, this, I'm going to so get over on this. But this is before Europe was, you know, was all— United. Yeah, united. Yeah, right. So you'd still have to check— your passport at the border. It cost nothing back then, those URL passes. No, oh my God, but I mean, amazing. I was in high school. Did you so. ever do that, Mark? Yeah, I went uh, right out of high school, and yeah, we had a great trip. Saw Pink Floyd in Venice. And what? <laughs> live on the Grand Canal. Were you painting oh, back yeah. then, or did that come later? It came later. I had a sketch pad. I remember there was a stampede at, in the middle of the afternoon the police had fired tear gas or something and so and you're like my eyes i, I can't finish my drawing no, i started running and then an i had American. to go back to I'm find my American. sketchbook and there were <laughs> footprints in it from the stampede that's so. actually pretty cool <laughs> that was my first trip to europe and how, had, how old were you when you did that uh 17 i think i just finished high school you know i i was i think i might have been a little younger i was probably like 16 or something when i did that but i was by i was with it was by myself and i met my my then girlfriend at the time um but i remember i started off in spain that was like my first place and i was going there to study art um and then seeing the ceilings like seeing ceilings and seeing and and big grand paintings for the first time like that scale like completely changed my life did you have that type of feeling like that experience i mean it just pink floyd no. <laughs> it sounds like you were already kind of committed to, I mean, you were sketching, you were obviously... Yeah, like, no, I was a, already, you know, I thought of myself as like a, a young artist. And I, <laughs> what what so year was there to see the art? This would have been 19... 
89, I guess I graduated. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I had my sketch pad. I was going to all the museums. I thought this is, but at the time I didn't intend on being an artist. I actually thought that art wasn't a very serious career and I hadn't seen, I wasn't aware of any real working painters. To yeah. me, it, it had just, I know. think also like people who uh, were attracted to like drawing things that you see, like that kind of art wasn't being done. So no, if you could like learn how to draw and then break all the rules and throw away all that to become, you know, abstract and to express yourself more freely, like that's something, that was a road that seemed like, like there was a path, but I didn't see people, you know, making, you know, except for maybe comic books or, you know, illustrations. Yeah, I mean, I did, I had just finished high school and I remember doing like science fiction fantasy art because that was the only sort of realist. Right, like Frank Frazetta, you look at that yeah, and you're like, that holy of, crap, yeah, this guy. It was acceptable. But that summer I was planning on going back to university and I was going to University of Santa Cruz for biology. Like I had absolutely no intention of becoming a painter and I was kind of bummed out I was going to Santa Cruz because well I was excited because the biology department was supposed to be excellent yeah but it's Santa Cruz yeah it's nice. <laughs> <Very> beautiful uh, <laughs> campus and, and stuff like I mean I had I mean I grew up in West LA and Fiji I had always lived in nice yeah, places, wait so, so you grew up in in West LA how does it explain that, how does that well work? no West I mean LA Santa Cruz to me was just one continuation of all right. this yeah, wonderful yeah. place that yeah. I've lived. It was just but, a few hours north of... But what, what, yeah. what, you're, you're, you're getting at something. You were saying that the Department of Biology was good, but... But the Department of Art was considered not very good right. by UC standards. UCLA or Berkeley were the good schools, or East Coast had all these great art schools. Right. And then when I got to UC Santa Cruz, I realized that the art department was considered not... Subpar. Yeah, not to be a good art department because it was traditional. Oh. And that was exactly what I w had been looking for. Did so you realize I, that then or did that did you come to that realization later looking no, back? I was like I said, I was there entirely to study biology. I had always been fascinated by the natural world and I I just I assume you know, art is one way of expressing that. You see all these beautiful, wonderful things around you and you wanna express that through art. But I didn't think art was viable anymore. And so biology was also a great way of, you know, you study it. And Is biology viable? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's an interesting question because I also saw what biology graduates did. And you, you know, sit in what the basement looking at Petri dishes <laughs> for a pharmaceutical Science. company. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I was sort of watching what the graduates were doing from the biology department and thinking, well, that's not really what I want to do. <laughs> really boring. And at the same time, the art department seemed amazing. Like we had two really good teachers who, one, Hardy Hansen was trying to teach us academic drawing. I see now having studied proper academic drawing that he was sort of missing a few pieces right you know, they had us working we had these beautiful north lit win uh, studios and then they would just open all of the windows and so you had light from every direction which makes it much right. harder <laughs> it would have been much easier Super if they had flat if everywhere. they had just given it's us so north hard facing. in those i i teach at columbia uh cast i do a cast drawing class there and to isolate the light sources i mean i, I spend you well, know like days just trying there's to no shadow shapes yeah it makes yeah. it so much harder for the students to learn right so. and to set that up in that sort of a situation is is impossible but he was trying to teach us this academic drawing and that was actually really interesting and at the same time there was another teacher um Patrick Ayern, who was teaching us sort of, uh, there's a, a big tradition of California Impressionism yeah, still. Yeah. Yeah. 
And both of them were teaching. He was teaching us to go out and, and paint plein air and to look at uh, the great California Impressionists, but also the, just the great landscape painters through history. And to me, both of those, I mean, it was a great combination, and it was really interesting. But both of the teachers were at the same time saying, we're going to teach you all this, but under no circumstances are you to try to make a living afterwards doing this you have to go do crazy modern stuff were they trying to make a living doing this or no they were both doing crazy crazy modern modern stuff stuff. it's Um, almost like lock the doors we're going to tell you something but right don't leave the room don't tell anybody no they i mean they wanted they they wanted to give us a foundation (laughs) (laughs) tina take his wine (laughs) So they they wanted to give us this foundation with the idea being that then we would become right. good modernists. You grow past it. Yeah. yeah, and we would. And Hardy Anson's own work was sort of stuff on canvases. And Patrick Ayer, and I think he did some traditional stuff, but a lot of what they were encouraging and the, the, the sort of top students in the class were doing very large, abstract stuff that was sort of based on their... Uh, landscape studies and some of it I mean to be fair was very interesting at the, at right. the time but I realized I thought this is actually much more what I want to do and these guys are teaching me something really interesting and if they have this kind of knowledge maybe I can find more of it this was before the internet it was very hard to find people who could give you this kind of thing <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. those days yeah and yeah. so I was sort of scheming how I could figure out you know where I could learn this I didn't know of anyone in California and so I was thinking I need to get to Europe it's so hey. funny because when we're doing the podcast, that's something we bring up to every guest. Mm. Even if they're like, some of them have answered it like, no, it was, it was okay. We had an okay time doing it. But yeah, it's, something, it's something we just can't help but ask. Like, did you have a hard time? Because we had a hard time. Yeah. I want to yeah, hear, yeah. hear about your struggles. <laughs> we want to kind of commiserate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I thought I would go to Europe. It was the last place that was big and somebody would be there to teach me. And then I remember I kept failing French class. And then I studied Italian, and I it was like in the genes or something. I it really <laughs> easily. Delessio. <laughs> and so I had straight A's in Italian, so I went to Italy my last year of university. And I went to Florence to study etching, and I actually hated etching. But while I was in Florence, I stumbled across um, Was Cecil it Cecil Studios. Graves at the time, or was it? No, it they had, had, they had just up. split. But there was two posters at Zeki at the art store. One oh, was yeah. Cecil. Zeki is the best yeah. place in the world. Were they trying to like put one on top of the other <laughs> different days yeah there was a bit of that but they, <laughs> they were next to each other and i think one of them said evening drawing wednesday and the other said evening drawing tuesday and that day was a tuesday and so i ended up posters with, get bigger and that's how you that's how i ended up at cecil because it was a tuesday so. <laughs> and so then what you just that you stayed or you went back you finished college and then and that was my last year so i just stayed and um cecil was great i I ran out of money very early on and he gave me like a free place to live and um you know i had to like clean the toilets and write all the letters <laughs> and stuff for the um for my tuition you got but, talent yeah. kid yeah. you got talent <laughs> just clean the toilet yeah. exactly talent. i mean there was no that was the the way the school was run at the time it was very i mean there was like is it, very, it not it run like that way anymore no it, it is it still very, run that way it was very but beginning. it was also run that way right. back then it was hmm? the very beginning of it right well, they had had the school together, and then they split. So yeah. this was sort of the beginning. And most of the students went with Dan, and so it was the beginning of Cecil. Yeah, and yeah. did you, like, at the time, did you, like, 
obviously it was a Tuesday, you wound up at Cecil. Did you ever kind of explore going or was there something in particular that like made you want to stay over at Cecil or was it just the first that Tuesday was magical and you just think yeah, I mean, that was exactly it was exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> right. And so I just stayed and right. it never occurred to me to go Look check at out the competition. <laughs> and also mind you at the time Dan was also just starting out and he was like in the Corsini Gardens and oh God, in yeah. the Limonaya. So it was There was a, a splitting of a school, is that what you're yeah, talking so about? Yeah, so in Florence these guys uh, Charles Cecil, I mean you know more about it than than yeah, any of I'm us, Mark. Not but, even uh, going to begin to go into that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just give me the I'm more neutral the headlines. Say, uh, I don't the, know this. Just give Charles the listeners Cecil the and uh, Dan Graves <laughs> had a school together in Florence. Was John Angel involved? No, that was in that? later. That was later. So these two guys, who were kind of titans of the Florence art scene, All had a school the together. Americans, by the way. They were Americans. And uh-huh. there are lots of rumors as to what caused the split, yeah. and I don't care to speculate, but uh, they, for some reason, broke split up. Split the school up. And Cecil started Cecil Studios, and Dan Graves started the Florence Academy. Yeah. Uh, and they're still both operating in Florence. Dan has now uh, expanded. He's actually in New York now. In, yeah, he's uh, in Jersey New York, City and in Sweden. Sweden, yeah. He's got an empire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're both, and honest. And they're very, I mean, they're similar? very different people. But, but what are their styles? Are their styles similar? Somewhat, was their own schooling similar? Similar. I think that they're, I mean, they're teaching, correct me if I'm wrong, they're teaching, they're both teaching kind of a, a, a pretty strict adherence to like a site size method. Yeah, and so in terms of methodology, it's it's quite similar. The the per, personality wise, I think Dan and Charles couldn't be more different. Yeah, the schools are basic, and even their focus is a bit different. Um, Cecil has always been really focused on the portraiture. Dan does everything. Uh, I mean, right. they have an excellent sculpture program right now. And um, well, I've always looked at Cecil. I mean, I I studied at the Florence Academy just for a year and while I was there I attended every Cecil uh, art history lecture I could did you guys know each other when you were in no. I don't think Italy? we ever met then what year was it uh, 2000 I, think, I mean there was yeah I was there but I was sort of aloof I wasn't right involved in either <laughs> of the schools um, well, I had been kicked out of Cecil Studios and uh, <laughs> wait, 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 why? Well, let's, let's hear about I got that. Kicked out three different times. Um, <laughs> he's a God. difficult boss, and uh, he's a difficult personality. I mean, he's a brilliant guy, but he's also, I think, a, a difficult person. Yeah, I mean, to, he's mellowed. Uh, how'd you get back in the first time? No, how'd what? you get kicked out? Let's start there. Okay. <laughs> you, the first time, don't put the car before the horse. No, I want I mean, to uh, a bunch of reasons, but. Uh, <laughs> Care to comment? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Um, no comment. No comment. I got, but I would always run out of money, and he would have fired all of the rest of the people, and so. But nobody could clean a toilet like this yeah. guy. <laughs> so I would always get. <laughs> he would always let me back in because, and I needed the job because I was always broke, and he always <laughs> needed the staff because he had just fired everybody else. So. Yeah. <laughs> he was amazing. It's His perfect. art history it lectures. Like it's perfect. I just remember going in, and he would be hammered drunk, and he would lean back against a column, and he'd close his eyes, and his head would be kicked all the way back, and he would just, like, his Rubens lecture was, I mean, I've never heard anything like it. It was brilliant, and, like, giving contextual kind of history, what was going, what Shakespeare wrote when, you know, 
when Rubens painted this and what influenced the zeitgeist and what Titian painting also, he saw two years before and all of it with his eyes closed and totally hammered. But it was always from the view of the painter. His art history yeah. lectures are amazing because he went to Yale for art history and he, I mean, he... He dropped out though, right? Because yeah, he hated it. I don't it. think he finished. Think, but right. he has this incredible, you know, knowledge of the period and he sees it or from, you know, of art history, but he sees it as a painter does. Right. So yeah. he's saying, you know, clearly, you know, Rubens was influenced by this painting. He saw this. He was here at this right. time. He must have seen this. He changes his medium at this time. And they start working on, you know, it really goes into the materials and why yeah. the materials were important. I mean, he has a very... But also, like, the way he describes it, it's like uh, Rubens couldn't have painted anything but his, like, the whatever painting... Because of he saw this, this, and this, and the, those different influences were synthesized in this paint. It's like every painting is just the natural conclusion of these influences. And I've always, I mean, I continue to be inspired by that because as a painter, it explains like these moments of brilliance in history in a way that you can really relate to, like in a way that you feel like, oh, if I was Rubens, that's exactly what I would have painted too. And I mean, it might be a little bit of a slight, you know, obviously, but it's it's so amazing to view it from that perspective and and it's so uh it just it it it, it so makes sense for a painter to you know to hear it i i'm continually yeah. amazed by that and uh no and we had a great education at the school i mean there was a period when he would take us on the weekends to the various museums in italy the whole school would sort of move up and we would constantly set the alarms off because he would be up at oh, the yeah, right <laughs> yeah everyone's nose is up we have the guards <laughs> following us through the museum because he really wanted to discuss the materials you know what oh yeah yeah you know how's he getting this lead effect what colors is he using what you know and that's something that you've you've picked up right i mean you're pretty interested in in that as well like you've had your blog and done a lot of blog posts on materials and yeah I mean it was very much and Dan is also the same I mean there yeah. was really this idea in Florence that a lot of what makes great painting is also a real attention to materials and if you're going to use a lot of these modern paints handle differently than absolutely well when you make your own paints yeah. it's just an incredible like it's a nice. world of difference and that, it's so i mean i don't do it all the time but when i do i'm like it doesn't sink in the way it and yeah i've started now uh we had uh george o'hanlon who runs natural pigments on the podcast and since then i've been priming my own canvas and uh it's like the last few paintings i've done on the paint on the canvas that i've primed have reminded me like when I first started painting and I was getting Clausen's lead primed linen, like they remind me of that. Like the paint goes down and it stays where you put it and it doesn't like uh, streak or like, you know, it just, it goes down exactly the way you want it to go down. Well, it gives you a great control over your materials. I yeah. mean, over your painting because you know exactly how it's going to handle. So, I mean, I've right now I use, I paint so much that I just cannot, you can't keep up with it. It does take a long but, but, time. But I mean, also there are manufacturers who are making paints that are not quite as good as if you mixed it yourself because you get exactly what yeah. you want. It's like cooking for yourself. But yeah. when you buy, I don't know, Vasari or uh, Michael Harding, like you're getting really good. It's it's uh, linseed oil. I was about to say olive oil. Linseed oil and pigment. It's delicious and, and yeah. it's, I mean, I use most, I use Williamsburg. I use um, Blue Ridge. Oh, Blue Ridge, I like yeah. a lot. And I, I love the 
the old Holland blues. I mean, they cost a fortune, but they're the best blues I've found. Really? Yeah. Have you tried any of the, like, Vasari blues or? No, Vasari, we can't get in Europe. Oh, right. That I know. Well, you're so, in town now. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, um, the cadmiums, I love the Williamsburg cadmiums. And right now I'm painting with a whole set of um, Blue Ridge. And of Blue Ridge, well. Where, yeah. are they down down? He's south? in North Carolina, North right? North Carolina, Eric Blue Silver. Ridge Mountains. But I had the because the art supplies are much cheaper in the states. So yeah, his he's got great prices, and I find that his uh, his paints are really high quality. Yeah, I'm having a lot. great time. I was painting outside with them all today, and they're doing exactly what they should. So <laughs> they're, <happy. laughs> they're behaving. But no matter who makes your white lead, it's never as good as hand ground. That's the one that I really find the difference. And you can you get more choice when you buy your own pigments too. I mean, that's another thing. But it got harder and harder to find a lot of these pigments, so it's become harder to. Um, to make your own paints so. right well when you look at traditional um paints they also had a lot less um choices we have so many choices now you know that's not true really I, yeah you look at the shipping right. records of like i was saying you didn't let me finish they didn't have as many choices <laughs> i mean they had they had a lot more choices than we well have now. played tony let, let me finish my my sentence first wait explain no let him dig himself in deeper no. Mark. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I mean modern pigments we have an amazing array of, of colors to the point that I think it's just too many that people don't know what to do with it. Yeah, I'm not an art historian, but my understanding is that when you look at the like, <laughs> no shipping records into Venice, like right now you have all these chemical manufacturers are constantly saying, look, I've developed this perfect um, blue alizarin or blue or whatever. And they're trying to sell it. Alizarin permanent. <laughs> yeah. They're trying to make a buck. And they've, they've always been that you, if you, somebody was showing me these, I think it was Doak was showing me these records. In the <laughs> that guy. And they were, well, anyways, the point is that you had all kinds of I've been kicked crazy, out of the store so many times. <laughs> crazy pigments that, you know, people were mixing up. This is bat-eared brown and stuff. Yeah. And they were yeah. trying to sell this to artists as yeah. this is the new You can thing. brush your teeth yeah. with it. You can wash your hair with it. You can use it as deodorant or you can paint. Step right up and get <laughs> They've always, it's always been around this this Bat-tonic. idea that tons they were i mean look at bitumen what was that stuff they all bitumen. went bitumen. crazy for yeah, yeah. in the, in the, the late 19th, 19th century, century. Yeah. there were some issues with that yeah but there was i mean the fact is, that one is famous but there's just been historically tons of various colors that people were trying to sell to painters and i think a lot of times you had painters like um who is it uh Ribera. I mean, the guy was like barely using two or three colors, right? I know. You can barely see any <laughs> ochre in the paint. It's like black, white, and red. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah. And I think they, I, I mean, mean, I read more somewhere black, that there was red, a, Those paintings are amazing. That there was a bit of a competition between the artists to see how few pigments to keep they the, could use. To keep the palette like really? ridiculously Yeah, small. because that was sort of a, a show of how good they oh, were. Oh, like Turner, I think, brags about how, you know, he doesn't, yeah. you know, so it wasn't like rip, you wanted you know. to cover your power. You wanted to, and also there was the Greek. You know, the palette was using I don't know how many colors. I feel and, like people make fun of you for a limited palette now. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't think I you think can brag lot, about a limited. I use a limited. Brag about I'm a, I use now. a limited palette. You have brought it first. Suggested donation podcast. I absolutely think that people, when when you hear about like, you know, that person used five colors and look what they did. It totally comes off like you're. Totally yeah. awesome. If I mean, Nelson Shanks uses two colors, I'd be amazed. <laughs> I, don't, I find that if I use more colors, I just I end up after a, a session, I realize I haven't 
you know, dip my brush in any of them. Or, and after a yeah. month of that, I just think, why am I still why putting I, this on my palette? It's out either that, that I keep, yeah. or if you get a new color and put it on your palette, you feel the need, you feel like you have to grab a little bit. Yeah. And it's completely unnecessary. I do that. I completely limit my palette. So if I, I know, if I, if I know I'm working an area, I put generally what I need down and that's it for whatever I'm going to be doing at that time. Cause yeah. I don't necessarily work the whole painting at the same time in the very beginning I do. But otherwise, once I get to like, I'm going to focus in on the background. I don't know. I put what I need out. So it becomes incredible, like a really controlled, very small palette. And even to the point where at a lot of times I, I pre-mix to keep it even more controlled to say that I can get a big variety, you know, idea wise but generally i'm using like four colors but people like if you paint people like you're doing a portrait like we don't have particularly like colorful you know skin like they're 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 the colors that are there are all in this like really narrow band so it's not like you i don't see particularly like intense chroma on people i don't know i mean i was thought that these four colors for people and there was all like alchemical ideas too with the God, I can't even remember it now. The, but the yeah, the black and the white and the red and the yellow and just and nothing else. And then you maybe really can and you make gold you can keep out of that. Well, yeah. you can keep it so you really for painting portraits, you can keep your palette in, in, incredibly limited but and I get mean, a huge amount of 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 uh, information down. Yeah, but you need those exact color. I found that like if we, I remember one year Zeki changed their vermilion. And their vermilion was like the best thing on yeah, earth they had for this a while. It was stuff dirt cheap, Man and it was. Montemiata was this. I have a bag wait, of who, it who, of the pigment. Who's vermilion? Zeki is like an I've art store heard. in Florence. There's a great art store in Florence. They have, I mean, their old master medium is the best thing. <laughs> Last I think you told me to get it. But and, you know, they're uh, making it because uh, it's Charles Cecil's recipe. Oh right, and that. They make uh, Blue Ridge is making it now. Oh really? Yeah. Oh cool. So you can get it from. Yeah, because I finished my Zach. I I snuck it back on the plane, you know, in my toiletries. Yeah, kit. I fly over there. The last time I was in Florence, I I was too busy saving my money to go to like every gelateria <laughs> we were there. That's all I wanted to do is like screw supplies. All I want to try is every different. Oh man, Zeki every was always like gelato. my first. And the, I still have a roll of their Leonardesco, I think, linen. It was like this gesso-primed linen that uh, it was just like the right balance a of absorbency. A traditional gesso? Tr yeah, traditional. Yeah, on linen? Well, you got to go out to a panel, I think. Yeah. I don't yeah. think stretching it is a good idea. But, uh, yeah, it's really nice to paint on. And it's funny. Whenever I tell people where I'm painting on these gesso panels, they're always like, real Italian gesso. Yes. <laughs> this is all Zeki makes and they keep messing up the recipe. <laughs> I have like a stack of them at home that I'm afraid to use because I just, I go there and so infrequently that I, I'm afraid to use them up. And they cost nothing. I, I mean, yeah, I, I actually prefer the American stuff, but, uh, <laughs> but you paint on the Zeki Damn right, it's Yeah, American. because that's all I can get in Europe. And are but, you, uh, do you consider yourself like a, a landscape painter? Most, I mean, obviously you're here in New York doing a portrait commission, but you consider yourself primarily like a landscape painter? Yeah. I mean, I was trained in portraitures. Like I say, Cecil Studios has become a bit of a portraitist factory that really... Right. Well, it sounds like you were, I mean, in college before then, you were getting sort of excited about the idea of plein air painting. And Yeah. I mean, I think California has a great history. And again, like I said, I've always... Part of the reason I wanted to be a painter was just the, my love of being outside in the right. natural world. So I find... I mean, you were studying, you were going to study biology. It seems like everything's sort of connected. 
Yeah, perfectly. But the, I mean, for me now, landscape painting, it's just a great way to make a living. So yeah. I get to <laughs> Best office on earth. Yeah. I mean, I send people yeah. messages all the time. I'm in, do the, do well, I'm in the office. Yeah. Oh, please <laughs> don't just do travel that. around the world, find the most beautiful places to paint and stand there for two or three hours and or a few days. And you get, <laughs> the, like the locals love you. They come up and you know give you free wine and cheese where you're from i'm from hollywood california and i've come all this way (laughs) hollywood (laughs) your little uh that's what it says on my birth certificate um because your little village is absolutely amazing and i'm here to paint it and it is beautiful and you get to leave and i've had people cry when they see the paintings people write to me saying that they you know, now every time when they walk past, wait, they this, cry and it's a good thing because why? I hope no, so. I, I really I'm actually sure. that one time I'm not quite sure what happened. <laughs> this the, is awkward. I, yeah. I've actually had that. I'm ex- just assuming it was. Yeah. She was I'm going to assume this is a good thing. <laughs> you butchered my beautiful land. You know, I, I had this one experience. I had a few experiences like that, but one I remember really well. I was in Spain. I think uh, we were all together. A bunch of us were in Spain, in north northwestern Spain, and I found this alleyway that was just so beautiful, and the, the way the light was hitting it was great, and whatever. So I, I set up, <clears throat> and I was doing this painting of it. And this old woman, you know, and you know this with uh, landscape painting, uh, you generally get like a little crowd. And at one point, I had a little crowd. They all sort of dispersed, and I had this one older old woman left, and then you know, and bro- and her in Spanish, I mean, I don't speak Spanish, but I understand it a little bit. And she was telling me like, that's my street. Mm. I was born on this street and I love it. And I, and she was like trying to describe how it made her heart like full because I was sitting there painting it and she always knew it was beautiful. No, it's a wonderful thing to go. and And she was so impressed that I saw the beauty in her eyes, you know, in her I did eyes that uh, she, I saw the beauty that that she's always known. You were saying you would you would uh, you would get letters of people who had been moved to tears. These no, are people who had seen two you different paint. stories. But you were you were so you were starting to say something. No, I got, sorry, I got letters from people just saying that they had you know a certain scene that I had painted. Emails actually, nobody writes letters. I've anymore. written some of those to you. I mean, like, I, I've definitely looked at your paintings. And Just saying, that. you know, I, I go past that all the time, and I never really noticed how, how beautiful, beautiful it was until you painted. And now, every time I drive home, I, you know, that's I really love nice. seeing how I mean, it's really nice to be as an artist. That's the kind of communication you want to have with people yeah. to make them see the beauty in the world you around should. them. And with landscape painting, it's a really immediate and effective way of doing that especially if you travel to places that where artists don't normally go yeah, I right. mean, so the, do you search hard for like kind of go places off the beaten path or does it not matter and hours driving i mean because you're in like in florence i've seen paintings of yours that are exactly like uh we're all saying like the sort of the street that everybody goes down and you know, it's not necessarily the Arno or, you know, but it's just that street and there's the little, what are they, Apino? Yeah. The little Apino park there. And it's just so, like, deeply Florence what is the and the light. It's like this three-wheeled vehicle oh, that they yeah, use yeah. there. That's um, a Chico, uh, what is it, the Cinquecento? No, those are little, little cars. Little cars it's the one with the three wheels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a kind of a mini truck in front yeah, and a pickup. Yeah you know, thing in back. I just, but it's, I think of like, like Inspector so, Clouseau. It's so Italy, particularly Florence or maybe Tuscany. I don't know, but 
it's those like you get the character of of that street and it's so beautiful like it's so poetic and you sort of point that out to people well, i think i mean that's what's really nice about art to show people that the, the world around them is really beautiful and to notice this stuff and that right. their life has a value and that it is really interesting and wonderful world we live in and that's i mean one problem i have with all of this is that you know i i never sell paintings to these people the, the art <laughs> right. doesn't go well, on their walls those afterwards. guys i mean no it's just yeah kind of this well also the price I point send, you get yeah like i send to new york or to london yeah and it's not and so i would in florence i would always try to have local exhibitions at least to at least so people could see yeah do you ever have you ever that. thought about like prints or anything like that to just make it i mean i've definitely felt the same thing like a lot of the people who really respond to my paintings can't afford them yeah. and I would love for those people to be able to have my paintings, but I also need to pay my mortgage. Yeah, no, I, I put high quality images up on Flickr and stuff. <laughs> hey, just print it yourself. But I mean, they, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't know how to get them. Can we have the uh, URL for that? <laughs> Suggested donation box. But, um, so, no, I think it's a wonderful part of this uh, job, I think, is the poet sort of the poetry of yeah and showing beauty. people beauty where they didn't notice it yeah. before and that it's always been there and i mean the but it's amazing how fast it clicks once you show it even in a i'm not gonna say crude way but a quick way they all of a sudden go yeah you're right but then mm. you know then you get into the problem of like people like i don't know you're you're fascinated by the way that the light kind of uh cuts across some like narrow street in florence and it's be the colors are beautiful and you're pointing out that beauty to people and then you get this whole other segment of the art world, which is pretty much all of the art world, saying like, okay, but what's your painting about? Like, what are you, like, how are you challenging us? And it's like, no, that's not, you I know. I that word challenging. I, Stop I mean, challenging me. But I mean, that's, I mean, that's really, like, when you say you're an artist, that's what people, you know, people are thinking of that part of the world. Maybe in Europe it's a little bit different. Or... Well, I think Europe is such a bubble. I mean, Florence was such a bubble for the it last is, 20 years. I yeah. mean, really, like, they... You know, it's mellowed out now, but they really they think they're the center of the art world, and that like the fact is that the other school across the river is painting in a realist manner that's slightly different it makes <laughs> yeah, them right. the antichrist, and like there's this whole uh, <laughs> like nothing else exists out there. Right. I mean, that it's toned down now, but the but also I mean now with the rise of social media, I don't really feel so uh, isolated. isolated right? Right? Yeah, I mean I remember before you really were especially if you were outside of Florence or New York, one of the few places where you were had large groups of realist painters, you really, you know, you were the only one. I went, I moved to Paris for half a year and I remember just feeling really like... Well, Paris is almost like, it, it, it's almost harder to be a realist painter there, which is hard to believe because they're surrounded by so much great kind of... Uh, I, I worked in a squat. It was an occupied um, high school. It was massive structure i think now it's a uh, architectural university but at the time it was an it had been occupied by a bunch of anarchists and you were among the anar you were an an one of the anarchists I, there was you're punk rock yeah <laughs> there was a bunch of sort of serious painters and then there was a bunch of people who just hated the state and the serious the city of paris kept trying to offer us uh, to become legal was it kind of like that's this? the great thing about paris here yeah. like they like, just on. arrest you <laughs> were, they, were they trying to do like a christiania or, so, or something i mean they had just taken over this big building and they were like 
I mean, they they already stole oh, all the building. pipe. No, uh, yeah, but it was a high school. It was okay. a bunch of buildings with smoke stacks. So your bathroom was like a bucket, like a joint compound bucket. When I, I mean, it was for a long time. When I moved <laughs> in, they had gone through the sewers and like reattached the electricity, nice. reattached the water, and good Samaritan squatters. It was like a, it's, uh, the high school is from the '30s, so there were all these weird underground caverns too. And when you would walk through the central courtyard, you'd feel this like. Doom because you had all the because of the war and no you had the a bunch of people making electronic music in the like tunnels under because yeah. <laughs> so they could bad. it was a really interesting That's place cool. i mean it was wow. some people the hippies were trying to bring in chickens to have eggs and then yeah, the yeah. local thugs would bring in their their dogs and kill the chickens i mean <laughs> all the rooms had these massive so doors because the, the cycle everything of life. was getting yeah, the people were kicking in the doors but I was there doing like really traditional. <laughs> You're like, guys, oh, keep it down. Yeah. I'm trying to model a form. I'm trying and to I, do really nice work here, guys. I found a little, uh, they gave me a little hallway with north facing windows and I had models in. They I gave was like, you? It sounds official. Like there was a guy with a clipboard well, you had or to something. Know, I, like I knew somebody who, and who we just like walked in and then said, he said, hey, can you get this guy's studio? And, and there was an American there from New York, actually. And he said, yeah, I'll go. And then he went up to some room and said, hey, do you guys have any room for this guy? You're like wandering around Paris. You wander into an old <laughs> high school and some guy's like, hey, this guy's no, an artist. I, Took him up. I knew somebody who had been there and like knew some people. <laughs> you knew a guy who knew a guy. I knew a guy. He took me there. I got in. <laughs> anyway, so then for, I don't know, the, the amount of the time I was there, I actually lived out in the countryside. I was trying to do plain air work. But... Every day, it was a great life. I would take the subway in. I would get off at the Louvre. You could get in with a, a pass uh, yeah. for free. And there was another staircase. So you didn't do the, the line. And I would go in and draw. From the, tu- from the subway lot. Yeah. I remember you, there was a way to get into the Louvre from the subway that you didn't have to. Yeah, you could skip yeah, the line. It was great. The one I was using was above. But anyways, it was, I would go in and do one, draw one Greek or Roman sculpture every day and then get back on the subway and go to my studio. And I mean, I had a great time there, but like I had a amazing life. I know, why, it was. Why don't we have that <laughs> I'll take US? that now. That never, yeah. That would never happen here. <laughs> I lived on a houseboat too on the Seine. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, dude, Mark D'Alessio, playboy. That's you all do I live like an extra. You are an international uh, man. It was not all rose. When the first room I was in was faced the the bank of the Seine and you had yeah, all the rats. We had the rats running <laughs> yeah. back. I was on the wrong side of the houseboat <laughs> for a year, but then finally my room, Guillermo My room was up. the size of this table. <laughs> but you're doing what everybody reads. Living the dream. They, they're reading like these these books or something and and they want to do that. Like This you is were what you do when you have no it. money. Yeah, but this it wasn't like... Anyways. <laughs> it's like what every Williamsburg... Uh, Williamsburg uh, hipster wants to do, like you were actually doing it. Anyways, they it was, <laughs> they uh, pay good money for it. <laughs> yeah, they pay a lot of money to do. Their what parents you were doing. pay a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I ran out of money, and so I went back to Florence. But that time in Paris was nice. But what I wanted to say was, living in Paris, one I realized that they created this incredible tradition of painting. I mean, they, the 19th century French painting is such awesome. an amazing yeah. level of art on every level, and and it's just gone now. And it was kind of, to me, it was amazing studying at Cecil Studios because you basically, Cecil Studios and the Florence oh, Academy right. are descended directly from 
Jerome in the right. French Academy. Do so you, you think it's because they're just surrounded by it? You're well, talking Charles about, Cecil studied with Gamel, who studied, studied with, with Paxton, Paxton, who studied yeah, with, with Jerome. Jerome you're, right? you're, and, you're, and also you're not, Bunker. One, one consideration is that um, Bunker. Uh, you, when you're talking about these artists, they're Americans. They, they didn't grow up around it. No, but they kept alive this tradition of French academic painting. Yeah, but the in idea of America. Like, I mean, it basically survived in like Minneapolis. For, yeah, but somebody who grew up in Paris or somebody who grew up in Rome or uh, uh, Florence didn't really do it because they were surrounded by it. To them, it was the norm, in a weird way. Yeah. Like you're surrounded by this incredible beauty, and you almost don't notice it. Where you when can't you're an help outsider. But but when you're an outsider and you go to Paris or you go to Florence yeah, and you see this work, you're just like, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. If you grew up in subway tunnels like Tony and I did. Yeah, we graffiti artists. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there is definitely an appeal for the Europeans towards modernism in a way. But yeah. I mean, I think there isn't really that much of an appeal. The modern art museums are empty in Italy. Oh, really? Because really? yeah. they're not to, here. <laughs> well, you go to the one in Rome. I always go because they have this. I mean, the, the Italian The night, modern... Yeah, in museum in Rome. It's like it's. I mean, to us, that would be like a historical society. It's like, yeah, but they 19th have a whole and, section up until. But they've got like Mancini and uh, Domenico yeah. Morelli and. No, it's amazing. They have that Tettore Tito in the beginning. I mean, oh it's some God, of the most deep, yeah. the Italian nineteenth century is so. Nobody knows poorly, about it either. Yeah, yeah. known it, in the U.S. Yeah. and the work is so it's amazing. Super good. Well, what made you get out of Paris? Um, I ran out of money. And this was after the first time I got kicked out of Charles' school. I'd gone to Paris and I ran out of money and uh, Charles back offered me a toilets. job. <laughs> <laughs> I was back in Florence. You got it. Uh, we need a mop and a plunger. <laughs> I mean, I, was, I didn't know how to get into galleries. There wasn't really any interest in... Uh, and like uh, what I wanted to say before is that at this squat, like there was just no interest in... What? In what I was doing, right? Yeah, I, mean, I felt shocker. really isolated. Yeah, that's kind of a great. I mean, it's there's. I'm kind of envious. Like, I'm envious of people who can sit there and paint and not worry about that like and just enjoy. World. Like we choose to paint, and the thing that you know, the reason that we choose to paint is to actually sit there and paint. And having made that decision to devote your life to that, it's amazing how hard sometimes it is to focus on just enjoying the moment of being out there and painting. Well, I think also it's nice to have, like I had in Florence, this um, the feedback from other artists. You had tons yeah. of artist studios. To be able to go to another artist studio, have artists come to your studio, see what you're doing. It's like a new renaissance. <laughs> giving you feedback. Yeah. Were, were they but Italians or were they Americans? No, or? it was all Americans. Was I all mean, there Americans. were a bunch of... Uh, to be fair, the, uh, the Florence Academy had some really good Italian students too, like Daniela Estonia and Archangel. But the, um, it was mostly Americans or foreigners studying at these schools. But it was like a little bubble. And now I'm in Zagreb, which doesn't have a big, or at least not that I know of. Um, <laughs> they have a good graffiti painting. scene. I was there doing graffiti. Yeah, they have a bit ago. too much of a graffiti yeah. scene. <laughs> <laughs> how dare you, Mark Telesio, how dare you. <laughs> Tagging and come on, leave the historic buildings. Alone. I agree. I with agree you. with that. I absolutely 100%. agree with that. Don't, There's a time and a place not, for graffiti, yeah. historic buildings, and I'm all the about time like place. big walls that are just sort of modern and, and yeah, painted, painted it nicely. There's that one on the street that I, I remember driving, and it's like I don't know, like the whole. It's like a tunnel. This is where, yeah. but it's like five so blocks wall, yeah. long, 
And I know but it was I the painted city, on that wall. The city gave it to him. Yeah, they know it was totally permission. But I absolutely agree with you. When people start painting and start in the states, not a big deal. No, I when you go to Europe, it's like, dude, don't paint. When on you that go to the Ecole de Beaux Arts and they're like swastika no, spray painted no, on no, all the not, statues. That's not like they started tagging <laughs> the, <laughs> the <laughs> graffiti. They tagged the, the Ponte Santa Trinita, which I thought yeah, was really bad. It's ridiculous. Bad. I don't agree with that. But the, I painted some some uh, graffiti artists in Copenhagen. I was, I'd walk Like all portraits over. of them? No, they were there spray painting. And they you were doing, just oh, started. Oh, you're doing like, like landscapes with them, yeah. figures in it. That's I was awesome. looking for landscapes in Copenhagen. And these guys were in an industrial area uh, in Christiania. Christiania area. Yeah. And they were just starting. <laughs> and I said, you mind? How long are you going to be here? I stand yeah. here. And, <laughs> They'll and be people, all day. Yeah, yeah, and people kept, were walking by and thought it was hilarious. Like the, traditional painter the painter painting, painting the, the painters the painting the graffiti artists oh the new york so. times would have loved that yeah, yeah. that's awesome yeah. just challenging the viewer blah blah blah, blah it's blah. meta yeah you've challenged them but it was nice i mean they came over and showed me their sketchbooks and they were interested in traditional painting i can't even mention you well guys. that's the thing yeah. i mean i think Thank you. it uh it definitely like they knew who i was my experience <laughs> in graffiti is that like they appreciate you know People, a lot of people, not everybody, but no, a lot of do. people in the graffiti world appreciate like it's, the skill involved in painting. Of course, and, you're artists. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, but them the, more the than, thing is like most mainstream artists aren't artists. They don't appreciate that. You know, graffiti artists absolutely appreciate it more. Like, you know, that looks great. They Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. What were we talking about before? How are we getting <laughs> Paris? <laughs> we were talking about <laughs> Paris. Back to Florence. So it kicked out of back, Cecil, back to Cecil. Back to I Cecil. went back to Florence. I can't remember. Anyways, this um, completely lost my. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Way to go, you know, Tony. One of the things I wanted <laughs> to play it back. No, <laughs> but one of the things—it's like the is philosophical it, idea of what you were doing. Is it changed at that? You know, at that time when you were when you were bumping around Europe. You know, whether you're living in a flat, living in an apartment. In or getting tear gassed out of a square. <laughs> or somewhere. But what, did you, was your philosophical ideas, were, they, were, you, were you still on top of what you wanted to do? I mean, I think one thing that has changed is at the beginning, I was very much painting just for myself. Like, I really just saw art as something that I wanted to do, and so I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And... Let's see how well I can do it. And it was really sort of, I mean, a bit of a technical exercise, a bit of this, I really love looking at the world around me, so let's see if I can make a living out of going and staying in these beautiful places. But I think over the years, working, you know, seeing other people react to my art, I think I've really, I've become much more conscious of the communication aspect of realist painting, that there is a, a great means of expressing an idea, expressing to somebody, you know, and, and it's, I, and it's universal. That's it's one universal. thing. It's one thing it's that people since forever. Do you think that the idea has evolved for you, or is it pretty much that same? Like, um, you I know? think I'm focusing more on on other ideas. Um, I mean, I think definitely this idea of just showing people the beauty in the world around them has become much more a focus in my own art, and especially mm -hmm. in, you know. We live in Zagreb right now. I love painting just the little neighborhood where I am in Zagreb because it means something to me, and I like showing it to the local people. There's no 
not a, a big market for it. <laughs> um, for you, does it matter? Does it matter being in Europe or anywhere else? Or no, you're uh, painting in New York now, right? Around yeah. Dumbo and no, and I, I mean, I I love America. I'm not. I had a great life in America. <laughs> yeah. Begin to, but you never come back. You don't visit anymore. I come back every what year. Um, but it's uh, no, and I mean, for me, it's interesting because California is really, I feel, what made me. A landscape painter and I almost never get back there but I'm always so awestruck at the beauty of California and California really has a lot of beautiful it's it's a it's amazing you can get out of LA New York's it, pretty pretty too it is, yeah, it is I'm a New Yorker <laughs> but like in Northern California from San Central Francisco California for me is really just you can just and and really quickly just go up into the into the hills and it's 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 amazing no it's gorgeous and my parents retired to the monterey bay area which yeah. is just stunning you go inland to salinas and it's steinbeck country it's so and you never visit <laughs> actually my family are all in new york so when i come my oh, parents really? come they out here moved... my brother and oh. sister are both in in the city so do they live here full-time full-time yeah my sister's down town and my brother's in dumbo so. now was any of when you were doing landscape painting when you're noticing natural beauty was it just a did any of it have to do with like religious stuff or was it just no like... it was very much a secular sort of scientific uh, approach to uh the world around us yeah. i think a lot of the best scientists if you read them their biographies and stuff they were constantly moved by the the natural world i think it's uh, a very common I agree. Like every time I listen or read up on any scientist, they they're so he's pretending he reads. Every time I listen, <laughs> I mean read <laughs> both. But they are they they're really inspirational on even on an artistic level of how they, you know, if it's an uh, astrophysicist or something like that, how they're in awe of the of universe. the world around us. Yeah, and, and I think and everything around it. If you look at like the 19th century, you had a real overlap between painters and scientists. Yeah, you know, absolutely. There was yeah. the science. The painting was very well. The artists scientific. were very scientific. Yeah. They were scientists too. Yeah, and so I think that to me is something that sort of the naturalism of the late nineteenth century has really been what I look at mostly. You know, the way they talk about social issues or look at the world around them and try to express these ideas. I think that to me is the most interesting thing about realist painting, and I think it's a, a great form of communication. It's something that. I think it's an exciting time because it does seem to be there's a bit of a renaissance right now. I realize yeah. we're still not a minority in the art world, but, yeah, I mean, but we do have like a big community, and that's an amazing. And thing. And I think with social network, uh, with social media, we're Realism. really <laughs> you're like uh, social media. We're really able to get around uh, traditional media, and then yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. It's um, well, I mean, yeah, being able to kind of control, like, rather than have to appeal to try and get into the New Yorker. Yeah, or to get in touch with people yeah. who are all over the world, too. I mean, like, we went and painted with these Russian painters. They've oh, got right. a great so, traditional painting scene. Where? Well, behind the Iron Curtain, they managed to keep the, I mean, I think as it was uh, used towards kind of propaganda art, so social realism, the, the training seemed to remain intact. Am I, you, you're shaking your head. Well, no, I think, <laughs> I mean, if you look at the great uh, Russian painting, there's a lot of it was propaganda, but a lot of it was just painters painting the, the world around them, too. I don't think it was all entirely. Well, I think that the, I think that some of the, the reason that the, that the academy, that the, like the Repin Academy managed to stay, you know, intact was because 
the government wanted to support it to have artists uh, De, uh, be able to create propaganda art. Describe the rush, uh, the Repin Academy in St. Peter in St. Petersburg. Uh, Mark could probably do a better job yeah. than I could. Have you only, been there? No, only I've because never been to I, I know that when, uh. you know with the audience, some of them might not know what that is. The Repin Academy, but I named is... my son Repin, so and okay. my family's Russian. That's a beautiful school. I went there and. We, I met a few of the, the first time I went with the Florence Academy, they had a, the school oh, went yeah. as a tour to see the schools. And we, it was interesting because we had a sort was of. Dan holding up like a yellow umbrella and. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was there I'm with looking the. looking at you right now, Ted. <laughs> an English painter named Rupert Alexander who had a contact in England. I know Rupert. Who, you know Rupert. Yeah. Okay. Great portrait so, painter. Yeah. And he had this contact in England who set us up with three Russian painters who we went right. to their apartment one evening. And at the time, Rupert, uh, Greg, and I shared a studio in Florence. And so and we were all oh, the I same think I age. Oh, Greg, too. Greg Horch. And yeah. so there was the three, oh, it was actually just Rupert and I, but meeting these three. And we were like the exact same people, just from you know, oh, different yeah. sides of the, there wasn't any Iron Curtain right. anymore, but it was just interesting to me that we are the, all we're the same all age, the same. sharing we're a studio. Same, man. Yeah. And they had us, sorry, they had us for dinner and um, it was really fun. And then I invited them to Italy and the Russians absolutely love Italy. So they were like taking pictures at the gas station and stuff like that. <laughs> Where's the vodka? I, I did that. But. And I mean, they, they had a great time in Italy and they showed, and the, but it was interesting to me just how we had this very similar view on art and painting. And there, this time we went, what was it, last year? Yeah, yeah last year we were, I went back for two weeks and we to, stayed. What's the town to where Levitan painted, yeah, right? Plios. Uh, we were invited by the, the Landscape Museum there. It was actually an Italian-Russian exchange. <laughs> right. We sort of snuck in. Your, as, quote unquote, the Italians. The Italians. Right. And um, it rained every day for two weeks. I heard about that. It was landscaping. <sighs> but, um, but the art these guys are doing is amazing. And it was really interesting for us to see these other painters who none of us had heard of, and they right. hadn't heard of any of us. So, um, But now through them, you know, with social media, with Facebook and Pinterest and stuff, you can really just bounce around and see all this great work being done um, all over the world. And I think there's little pockets like this. Another interesting pocket I found was in Burma. We were in Burma, Myanmar. Yeah, we went painting there for two months in, or no, a month in 2009. And there was, we were staying in Bagan for a month. And uh, there was a local painter who's uh, an old man, and he studied with a watercolor painter who had studied in London in the 19th century. And he had this incredible academic, English sort of academic I guess drawing that makes skills. Sense, yeah, actually, but it was yeah. watercolor based. And he had opened a school in Mandalay or something and had taught this guy who still works in, in uh, Bagan, New Bagan. And so, and every day him and his students would come and pick me up on their scooter and they'd take me landscape painting which was much more convenient That's than the bicycles <laughs> we had rented and they but it was really interesting to me in the evenings we would get trashed in the <laughs> in the village on with this, burma moonshine yeah or this whiskey no they would buy oh, we need to get back speaking of getting trashed to the fight in front of the police station but yes okay well, the so <laughs> you hurt your shoulder or something like that? 
Yes. We had this. Um, Stay tuned. I mean, it said Jack Daniels, but it probably wasn't. <laughs> the funny thing was they wouldn't. Marlboro cigarettes, Levi jeans. They drink like, 87 octane. They put a tiny bit of whiskey and then fill it up with water. But because the water is so bad for <laughs> for us. That you drank the water? That's no, like, I was drinking the whiskey straight. And I kept yeah. saying, it's because I have a weak stomach. And that made no sense to them. Because they were saying, we have well, weak stomachs. That's water. why we had the water. the water. And you're like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> Just give me the straight whiskey. Yeah, give me the straight whiskey. It'll kill everything. I remember when we used to travel, we would drink hard alcohol just for the idea of like, it kills everything <laughs> inside Hydrate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it was interesting because we're basically, you know, we came with our sort of French 19th century tradition that had survived 100 years. And these guys are working in watercolors with this English watercolor tradition that survived 100 years. And we're going out painting together and discussing sort of materials and and painting that. It was really interesting to be... And the same thing in Russia was sort of... I mean, coming out from the Repin Academy and from... Yeah, these people... When Repin had spent time in Paris in the 19th century, and I know uh, Serov was living with him and doing, like, cast drawing. I mean, from what we know about the French Academy, I think the Russian Academy is probably much more similar than Cecil or the Florence Academy with the sight size, because you look at the, the paintings and the drawings of the French Academy, and they weren't sight-sizing these figures whereas the russians right. they all sort of well because they're crammed in, in like three deep yeah. in this tiny little studio in the in the french academy i mean they were yeah the russian academy though they have big rooms and then they all they decide that one spot's the good spot this is <laughs> in the classes we saw and, and everyone sort of squeezes into the middle with all their easels next to each other i remember from that angle <laughs> i remember seeing those um those russian Acad- those repin academy books um oh those charcoal drawings where they grade them one to five one to five and, and i remember seeing and it like the best drawing of it like and it was seen, like a four and it was plus. like a, it was like a three and i'm like what's a five <laughs> well this guy who i actually wanted to go painting with him in on the bulgarian coast this summer but Croatian wife shot it down. Um, <laughs> Evgeny Grushchev, he was one of the top uh, Russian draftsmen to come out. And he's... He was like five pluses all the way. Yeah, I think they even asked some teachers, which is just unheard of. Because they're like, in the Western schools, it's all really young people yeah. teaching. You right. Know? Whereas in Russia, like, you don't teach unless you're 80. With like your beard, beard is dragging <laughs> on the ground, <laughs> then you're ready. And, <laughs> But he Look like he does Gandalf. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he does these great portraits now in, uh, in London. His drawings are just superb. He's in London. No, I think he's in. Uh, Russian, but he goes back and forth. But you know what bums me out is when I would look at those books and they were so beautiful and so great. I just instantly thought they were 19th century drawings and then when you research it more you find yeah, out some of them are like the 70s no well 80s. some of them are from like the four like the 50s or something like that but they look like these amazing 19th and even 18th century drawings and then you try to find out whatever happened to these artists and they all nothing they didn't do anything they became propaganda artists which at a, I can't at a young that. artist I, mean, I was just like you know like screw communism because like you had these amazing talents and nothing they could have been the greatest artists like of of the time because that only happens in communism yeah. well <laughs> so the, the no great artist has ever been lost in capitalism but you're young and you're looking at these like amazing and like they weren't and they, they weren't able to 
fulfill their their greatness because they were apparently I don't know much about the history. They all became submarine captains in the kind of, or they did propaganda art, I'll which that I do know is true. They became they were they were hired by the state to say this is what you're going to work on, and well, it was like it was shit communism. Art. Everyone was hired by the state. Yeah, but, but it was uh, shit art. They didn't do like sorry, this some of it was amazing. There's some absolutely stunning plein air stuff. Where is it? You know where it is? Funnily enough, there's two of the biggest museums of socialist realism are in the u.s one's in minnesota and really? one's in utah they have like utah thousands and thousands of the most beautiful i've been researching this stuff wow. because i think <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> suggested donation road trip. <laughs> the work is abs i mean some like you say some of it is really bad propaganda but some of it is i mean no worse than an american flag yeah, the, with the, newspaper yes but don't the say idea anything. is that when you look <laughs> but, at their drawings you're like that's maybe the like the greatest draftsman ever or something like that yeah but some of the stuff is really some of the most beautiful plain air work you'll ever see was done by these socialist realists i need and to see that i haven't seen i can much show of you those. some of them and in they, what museums and and for our listeners in minnesota and utah i actually can't remember the name i just remember they're yelling at their speakers right now like <laughs> it's this museum i go there all the time <laughs> Yeah, comment. Fensky is yelling yeah. at Yeah, we got to get to Fensky. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I mean, I feel kind of bad for the Russians because they clearly dumped this stuff in the 90s. Well, that's what I mean. Somebody went over and just bought it all. But that's what I mean. It's like I saw, I saw I know, all these like, like, great and, work and I was just like, where are these people? They're amazing. They're yeah, amazing. Yeah, but they're still there. And it's funny. In Russia, they still are highly regarded. And I've heard the same thing in China, too. I'm, yeah, China. Okay. They, they took the rep in the Repin um, teachers over, teachers yeah. over to China. And also when you go to the Repin Academy, it's full of Chinese. Yeah. But I know that a lot of, um, like in the auction houses, they're finding that the the prices for Russian art are skyrocketing because there are all these oligarchs trying to repatriate all that art. Yeah, but I think they're repatriating the pre-communist stuff. Okay, so like more, yeah, like Repin and Levitan. And, yeah. yeah. And also, I mean, it's amazing. I know. It's like some of the best art ever made, too. So yeah, I don't think yeah. it's just... The Levitan is a hero of yours, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think my two favorite painters would be Isaac Levitan and Telemaco Signorini. I think those are... Uh, those are your guys. Those are my guys, <laughs> who I look at all the time. So, And I was really excited to go to to Russia and to paint in, in Plos on the Volga. What is it, Plos? Plos. And they... But it's a shame because they, they actually dammed the river off at one point, and then when the river rose, they rebuilt the village... A bit higher, so you don't have any of the the bank, the mud oh, banks yeah, with the boats yeah. that he painted. And, oh yeah, but you still, I mean, it, it's largely, I mean, like the buildings are largely unchanged from when yeah, Levitan was painting all, there. I mean, it's funny; they're all one-story buildings now, and they used to be two-story buildings. Oh, they literally <laughs> raised, jacked them up. Oh yeah. really? <laughs> yeah, they raised the street <laughs> in the town. <laughs> Duh. The whole you're Duh. walking around thinking, wait a second, this looks. Well, you can't get on the top of your Range Rover. Your I sold it. Really? Oh. No. To another painter? No. You had a you know Mark what? for people who don't know. Mark had outfitted like a Range like an no, old, a, a Land Rover, Rover Defender. Was it a Defender? Into like the greatest paint mobile ever. ever. Like yeah, you yeah, were outfitted to paint on the roof. You had like racks for your paintings in, in the, back. the back. And yeah. when I. We, you and I painted in Italy together. It was like an and you awesome were Mad about, Max, like uh, Land Rovers. You were yeah. talking about like outfitting the side. Secret Service car with the black wings yeah, and yeah. stuff. Yeah. You were and talking it was about bigger the, than uh, a regular Land Rover. Was it bigger? It was a Defender. So it's. Yeah, I mean, it was a Defender. Great. It was actually great for tractor trails. It was great for off-roading because you were thin enough to get through the tractor trails, 
but it but was high enough, but high enough and long enough to fit stuff. big but canvases. But it was an old school defender. But you were also so you were cool. you were at the time, and I don't know if you ever finished it. You were you had this idea to create some sort of a rack system on the side of yeah. the car to create like make the car into your easel and yeah. then sight size paint. Did you ever finish that? No, or? but I oh, think man. I mean I yeah to be able to take large canvases out into the field. I think that is like where I would like to go. Yeah, exactly. Like a a movable Soroya setup. So that's your your sort of dream. I think yeah. I'll probably do it with a van next time. You gotta though. do it. <laughs> totally well, absolutely. Tony will airbrush it for you. I'll do it. <laughs> totally have like a barbarian on it with or a maiden sword. riding a Pegasus, <laughs> flaming in sword and a dragon. <laughs> Listen to him. Yeah, totally. Put it. Iron Eddie. Maiden. Wing Victor. Eddie. Yeah, totally. Wing Victor. <laughs> we'll have a, painted in glitter. A unicorn and a pterodactyl. Viking. <laughs> But how? What's the scene like in Zagreb right now? Honestly, you have a scene? Not really. I mean, I'm almost never there. We travel so much. You travel so much, Playboy. And, so well, where, no. like, where, are you there? Places like far off places that you sort of dream of going, or where are you going? What? I'd actually really love to go Dumbo. to <laughs> Uzbekistan. I want Uzbekistan. Samarkand yeah. looks amazing. Oh yeah, a friend of mine well, actually was just there. He's been posting pictures all over the yeah, internet. And my wife has been there end. for work well, and it's incredible. I'm gonna tell you, I'm, uh, I've, I've mentioned it a little bit to you guys, but I'm trying at some point when I have like a second, uh, I wanna organize a trip to Patagonia. You have to go to Patagonia. I was there um, earlier in the year, and it's, I don't think it's been painted really, like properly, with, you know, your like, you know, people like you. Um, the problem with those kinds of views, you need massive canvases. I, st I no. went to Norway and I struggled. I mean, the. What do you the mean, massive canvases? Why would you need massive canvases? Because the views are so big. They are. You paint but really you big sometimes yeah, outdoors. Yeah, but when I travel, I tend to work kind of small. Yeah. Right. I mean, when I, I used to. Uh, the, I mean, I remember in Italy, you know what the overweight other. fees are for those canvases. <laughs> 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 but uh, I'm totally trying to um, organize a trip of some landscape painters to go down to Patagonia because when I was there I was yeah, like invite me I we need I did invite you by the way but uh I wanted to get a few people together and you're I mean I was gonna reach out to you to be like dude we're going to Patagonia yeah, get ready we're getting the band back together you gonna come down too you have to come down we're gonna go hiking too it's amazing you know one thing that I actually thought of you about is uh Everything. the Russians have this whole art scene they're really serious they have these little it's kind of funny they have these weird thing that I guess only existed Weird in communism. Weird things reminded you of me? No, no. The, sorry, I'm getting to that. But they <laughs> um, they have all this, they have this whole little traditional painting world that, that we know nothing about. But when we got in this little group, we got to see, we were painting with some of the best contemporary Russian um, realists. And they were explaining to me that the like most prestigious Russian or one of the most prestigious Russian painting competitions happens every year in Montenegro. Oh, really? Yeah. Where? In some hotel, and like all the top painters go down there, and then they have this. I've never they heard paint of that. for two weeks, and yeah, nobody's heard out of it outside of Russia. And <laughs> then they paint in Montenegro for two weeks. So I was wow. actually thinking about it because we we're always down in Dubrovnik. Yeah. Have you been and to you, Montenegro? Dubrovnik is just you just go. Yeah, it's over like the forty-five board, minutes. So. You've never been in Montenegro, though? No. Yeah, I mean, you just have to go over the border. Have you been, Tony? Montenegro? Yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm Anyways, I thought that sounded <laughs> yeah, no, really cool to spend two Croatia. weeks painting with all the top Russian. These guys. That would be so cool. They drink can so you, much. Can though. you find out where it is? Let yeah. me know when, and I'll, I'll it's take It's every a trip. year in August. 
in August. Yeah, late August. Actually, I was thinking about Tony can have the presidential plane yeah. fly you in. Yeah. Well, my 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 uncle used to be. He was the ambassador to Albania from Montenegro. At one point, he's not anymore. But um, but <laughs> I know. No, I have lots of uncles. It's crazy. She understands what I'm talking about. Family everywhere, and to the point where I'm like, my dad's like, you're. You're you're related to that person. I'm like, I don't know who this person is. I'm apparently related to everybody. But um, I was thinking of actually going next summer. I, I, we're actually going to be in the States next summer. Oh, so. Great. You didn't let <laughs> me finish. I wasn't going to go okay. next summer. <laughs> the year afterwards we'll go. But find out where it is. I'd like to find out. Uh, like uh, I thought it sounded amazing when I heard about it. That sounds like a lot of fun. It's crazy Russian. Let's hear about the police. Let's hear about the police. Police. The fight in front of the police. Yeah. Station. Can you? Yeah. Um, Wait, can you can you set this up? I I mean, Mark, just that. Well, I mean, What's Ben Fenske, Mark, I I I came to Italy to paint with you and Ben, and you guys, you're kind of like the odd. I mean, very different people. Yeah, I mean, we we've painted a lot together. Neither of us likes to talk a lot, so we. <laughs> so you get along well. Yeah, I mean, we would literally. Just but you kind of don't scrape. like each other a little bit, or you do like each other. I don't know. Uh, no, I mean, we like each other. Um, <laughs> sort of. Just fine. It's like a love-hate thing. Well, except that he dislocated your shoulder. No. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. No, no, you're getting too far. You're moving too fast. No, the thing is that, I mean, honestly, this is a fight I don't really care about. Oh, so this is a, f- this no, is a this is fight? Like, <laughs> they have the sight size, right? Yeah. Is this way of seeing and painting right which is what is what is sight sizing just so graves just sight sizing you basically i mean for me it's really a portrait technique i use a bit in landscape but i mean i developed the landscape technique joseph mcgrill is doing the same thing but i think we both sort of developed it joseph is a great he's a great landscape we're gonna have him on we're gonna get him on just so people should look him up too yeah well he does sight size also and it's a way of seeing i mean if you want to paint something you paint it the exact size as you see it from a certain point in space right i have a uh, blog it's, you can check yeah, it out check out the blog everything. what's the blog <laughs> go ahead and markdelicio.com there's a youtube video <laughs> yes anyways um so site size to me is just a technique oh, right. it's you like did using a... um you know using a pencil holder or a mall stick or Full something grab. it's a way of it's direct How, comparison, essentially. Yeah, like you're yeah. painting things exactly the way you're seeing them, like the same scale as you're seeing them. And so that you, if one building is a certain distance from the other building and you measure it from where you're standing, it's the same distance on your canvas. Yeah. It's I mean, you're basically seeing everything, painting everything the exact same size that you see it that from a certain right. distance. Um, and it's a great way, especially for portraits. Anytime you have to paint something fast, it's Right. really good I use it to set method. up like yeah. still life paintings yeah. and you just get the drawing down really quickly and yeah and if you have to paint a portrait in a hurry or a, a plein air landscape it's I think it's a great method but we don't know when it started like the there right. are examples there are of it there are theories of, yeah, there's people using it in the 19th not, century right. but maybe well, not well the 19th century I mean like I think that's well there's documented there's a lot of like evidence Sargent and other people mention it, used yeah. it right and sergeants when you read about how he worked it you hear the like top of his it. head kind of going back and forth. Yeah, he the walks windows a lot. Of, right. Long brushes, apparently, with brushes. Or sorollas, yeah, giant brushes. Yeah, I mean, I think just seeing from a distance, you know, helps right. in any case. Yeah. But Cecil and his assistant, Nick Beer, have sort of written a book on giving all kinds of historical evidence for side size, which is fine. <laughs> for some reason, 
Ben Fenske gets really upset about this. <laughs> <laughs> and thinks that sight size didn't exist before Gamble. And honestly, I could care less. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently, I mean, you, you fought for it, so. Well, that was because he stood up for the honor of sight size. He never talks, right? Except when ben. he's drunk and then he never shuts up. And so we're at a dinner with clients and we're trying to be polite and, you know. By the way, I love Ben. And <laughs> yeah, I think he's an too. amazing painter. No, he's a, one of the best colorists working right now. He's amazing. He's he's somebody who's really good, well, like we were saying about the poet, to show you the beauty where you didn't see it before. I mean, he constantly amazes me with the work, and we share the same farmhouse in the summers, and right. so he paints things that I see all the time, and I never noticed how, and that's my job. So <laughs> You're like, damn it, damn it. <laughs> Again. Ben, <Foil>. curses. <laughs> damn you, Ben, damn you. Fenskied. So, we had this evening where we were sitting with clients and Ben would not shut up about trying to drag me into an argument about size that I did not want to have and we're on Shelter Island and then we're waiting in line for the ferry and then he's like coming over to my window to like argue again and then we go to this is why Ben is so awesome so then we go to Murph's which is the local dive in Sag Harbor have you ever been there (laughs) yeah I know it okay and he will not shut up about side size. So <laughs> finally I said, okay, look, let's just go out you front. Just, you and drop the gloves? Yeah. It's like a hockey fight. You want to go? That's yeah, it. you want to go? You well, want to drop the gloves? We were both pretty trashed at this point. And, but, I mean, Ben's like a refrigerator. He's right on, yeah, you know, yeah. four times my size. So it wasn't much of a fight. Or at least four times your width. But right, as like... he sort of, as I swung and he just sort of... <laughs> You know, so you gently like, set me on the ground. So I somehow dislocated my shoulder. <laughs> gently set you on the ground. Yeah, it wasn't much of a fight, but and I don't really. Sight-sizing. Wait, so what was the argument exactly? That sight sizing didn't exist before, before Gamble. Gamble. That yeah. was the whole argument, and you were saying it it did. That is the nerdiest fight I've ever heard. Such a nerdy fight. <laughs> well, what I never realized I about like Murphs is that it's right next, next to, to the police station. The police and where station. the police station just no, like, like... Nobody saw us. The cops were like so. arms crossed, shaking their heads like Jay Braun is right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would have made a great blog post. This makes me <laughs> so happy. This story makes me incredibly happy. And yet you continue to paint with Ben. Yeah, no, we got along. We should do that, Ted. We should fight. Wrestle? Okay. I don't know, just something. I don't know who's gonna. I don't feel like either one of us is gonna. uh, I remember one time we were all of us. It's gonna be like a lot of slapping. It comes out really easily. From the (laughs) like the original. Right or left? Left. Uh, Your right hand. So so you were like, like, okay, I can't just can't hold my palette. I remember one time when we were um, we were up in Vermont painting with. um, Oh, that was amazing! Yeah, Richard Schmidt, Schmidt, and all them, and we were like the Water Street Atelier, like the original Water Street Atelier. We went up there, and they were we were up in their area, and we were landscape painting. Well, Richard Schmidt was really not. He he was really awesome. He he brought us up there. He invited us. We were all landscape painting. It was really cool. We took a break for lunch. So we all got together like in a circle in a very kumbaya. And they're from Vermont and they're really cool and very nice. Well, and Richard what, was trying to really access like deep ideas about like, it. He was like, you know, so, like a really like, great like, conversation. What is art? Like, what are we all doing? You know, he was really trying to, I think, to get at something <laughs> serious. 
And, you and, and we're like the hockey team. You know, we're like... A, the, Tony were, and I had nothing to do with this. We were like right. sitting around just throwing jokes. And at some point... I was like, guys, be quiet. I'm trying to hear the we're conversation. All, we're all trying to have this like intellectual... Well, half the people were trying to have an intel, like a for real intellectual conversation on art. And I forgot somebody was pushing one of us or somebody was starting to like jab at Jacob just in a fun, like I'm going to mess with him and start punching him. And they just get up and start wrestling. And we all get up and we're like, ha ha ha. Like the original, the, the water street people get up and start wrestling. We all start like throwing each other and we all look over to the, the Vermont like crew and they're all looking at us horrified. <laughs> I just remember, New I remember just like, standing there. What are you there. guys doing? And we're all like, ha Like trying to, we're putting each other in headlocks. I just remember, I, I was not involved in any headlocks. I remember watching the conversation happening and then watching people scatter as a couple really big people yeah. went kind of tumbling <laughs> through the circle and we're all wrestling. Like, yeah! Somebody was like trying to take somebody down and somebody was like, Getting taken down while trying to finish their sandwich and fight. And it was with one so hand. beautiful, and they, they were horrified. not going to mention any names, but so fistfights and wrestling has been a part of our. It's great. It's painting, right? Yeah. That's what painters part of did, it. right? That's what World we do. Gauguin's legacy. But it's funny because when you read those, you know, whether it's 19th or 18th century. Um, um, well, Michelangelo got his nose broken by another artist, yeah. right? Yeah. But even like the horsing around the horseplay that they they that they did, they were you know they would they would you know get into an argument like you were saying and be like all right let's take this outside and they like shoot each other though. well they would fight and then they well, would go back inside and be like all right well, dueling's cool. not respectable anymore we're, you know we're good again but um so now you're in zagreb now yeah so what's so you're here i have to go to italy a lot most of my clients still want italian paintings it's seems to be what sells so, so are you doing like commissions is that like clients or you just kind of go where want, you want and people buy the painting like you show them and people buy them or there's a bit of both i mean i pick where i want to go and also people say the gallers say we want this i have people write to me or gallers right saying they want a view they want this view or this and now are you Lo general location. Do you ever feel conflicted? Like, feel like, no, you can't send me out to do a postcard of this location. Or do you always feel like, look, I'm going to find the beauty in this area and I don't care what, you know, like I'll, I'll find something in it. I mean, they, I never really get um, that specific right. request. So people just say generally, you know, I want this little town in Tuscany or this. Right. How do they you know. find, do they find but you through like, galleries or through the internet nowadays? Mainly through galleries. I mean, that's. Uh, so you have your galleries who tell you, give you the information. Yeah. If they write to me directly, it's usually because they found me through a gallery anyway. So I have to let the gallery know. So, yeah. and then I just let the gallery deal with it. <laughs> it helps a lot. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to deal with people directly. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I've been quite lucky with my commissions, so. And then you're, but, and you also do portrait commissions and. Yeah, a lot less now than I used to. I mean, there's a, I feel like there's a lot of really good portraitists out there. Who well, are, Rupert is like one of the greatest portrait painters. Yeah, he's out doing there. very well in, in, in England, England. And Who's that? Rupert, Rupert Alexander. Alexander. I mean, he painted the queen. He got a sitting with the queen, right? Uh, yeah, three, I think, or two or three, I wow. forget. Yeah, and the, I mean, his paintings are incredible. I think a lot of Cecil students have painted the Queen by now, though. Oh, right. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, She's easy. <laughs> no, she has to sit for a certain number of portraits every year. So. Oh, really? It's yeah. like in her contract. They should do that here. It's in her contract. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so I noticed that you started to work Tina into your 
uh, into your landscapes a little bit more? Are you, are you interested in kind of working more figuratively or is like pure landscape? Do you not really draw boundaries? Is it, you know, how, how do you feel about like kind of the genre that you work in? Or? I mean, I think I like painting outside. I'm not a big studio painter. So, and then we travel a lot together and, mm -hmm. you know, look for things that inspires me, inspire so like me. You're reading a book and... Well, a lot of times when we sort of, they're collaborations. Are working, bit, right? Yeah, she has to read for work all the time, oh. so... It's convenient. Yeah, it's convenient. So she's working <laughs> and I'm working. Um, and they're often collaborations. She helps, she picks out the, the location and you know, what the pose is going to be, and then and we decide on things together. So it's been quite right. nice. Do you ever get people who want paintings from you, and they're like, just go take a photograph of it and sort of paint me the photograph? Or here's a photograph of my trip to this area that I love so much, and here, just paint it. Are you ever like, I don't really work like that? No, I, I mean, honestly, I don't work from photos. I mean, I use them but sometimes do, in reference. But do they the understand studio. that? Like, when yeah, you're like, I've I, never I need had to a problem. kind of be there and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I've never had a problem with that. And I think, I mean, also for landscape painting, I mean, for portraits, I can understand people saying, I don't want to sit. Yeah. But it's like a long for land, commitment. Yeah. yeah a lot for, of people who can afford getting a portrait made generally are pretty busy people. And they're like, I don't have time to sit there for two weeks. Yeah, every exactly. Day. I was telling that Napoleon sat for all those portraits while he was on the. Did he? No, he didn't. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's, it's a nice, it's a nice selling point. Yeah, it's a good, it works. Um, <laughs> Oh, you're more like, important than Napoleon. <laughs> with uh, with landscapes, though, they don't, you know, the tree's going to be there if I, you know, they... Right, so people understand. And they, I mean, I imagine that they like the idea of seeing you out there and that you're really directly connecting to the, like, it's it's maybe an easier point to make. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I can't remember a single time when somebody has said, can you do this from a photo? That's great. Mm -hmm. so. Can you talk a little bit technically? I know a lot of people, I've gotten a lot of emails of people who love when we when we start talking because we're also all, your we're actually we're all been... technical nerds at this table and we but how would you how do you go about <laughs> how do you <laughs> you are too how do you go about um just technical nerd about something else yes but how do you go about um just working your painting i think i mean generally i arrive in a location and i'll be there for a certain period of time i think the most important thing which i don't do nearly enough but i my best work is always done like this I'll go around with a sketchbook and I'll draw everything out and I'll draw thumbnails and I'll figure out what time of day the light is good here and there. And, and it saves me a ton of, a ton You're of time. A recon. Yeah. Like scout work. Yeah. yeah you do scout work, but this also is you, what you have interns for. Come you on. Draw it all out first. I mean, if you look at Levitan sketchbooks or Corot's sketchbooks, I mean, every single painting, yeah. there's a, a preliminary drawing for there it. Are a different lot of at different times drawings. of the day. Yeah. At yeah. different times of the day to yeah. see what, what is the, the, the best and it's all that. worked out they did thumbnails they did you know pretty detailed drawings they did that's interesting like process the... really factors into the final work and that like when you go through all like when you actually jump through all the hoops that's like you're saying that's when you're doing your best work yeah right? and then i think and then after that i'll do often small plein air sketches i'll do these little sort of uh, eight by twelve Let's right. say how, how long do they <laughs> how long do they usually take you to do um maybe an hour and a half two hours three if it's complicated i mean the, with my experience with landscape painting is you got maximum maybe three four hours unless it's like really overcast and foggy but then the light changes so radically that you're you're you 
have to work on a different painting. I think if you pick, like often I'll pick north facing subjects and then oh, you yeah. can get uh, maybe six hours at midday. Right. If you paint something in the early morning or late afternoon, obviously you get much less light. Right. There's this idea of painting into the effect and painting out of the effect. You did a blog post about that, I which did. was amazing. Mark I loved Alessio. it. Yeah. Com. <laughs> the, uh, you, yeah, this idea that you lay in, the, you know, if you're painting out of the effect, you, you get all the colors first and then do the drawing as the effect gets right. less. And if you paint into the effect, and this is mostly just for sunset and sunrise, but if you're painting into the effect, you do all the drawing first and then do the colors. Yeah, again. right. Yeah. So, so a lot of this, these ideas go into working on a, you know, on a quick plain air sketch. But then the larger pieces, I like to go back and spend a lot of time, you know, and you actually bring a large canvas. So you'll bring there. a large canvas to the location and work on it there. Not yeah. just I remember take all your when we were painting in Italy, you had you know a bunch of the smaller panels, but then you had a couple of really big paintings. I was amazed yeah. at how much yeah, work you did, did on yeah. those in like a fairly short amount of time. I mean, it was like I also paint on fairly small panels outside. Jake is lots of sky. But, uh, <laughs> big brush <laughs> big brushes big brush and lots of sky all right suggested but, donation podcast <laughs> um but yeah you do this i mean i for me i think i'm much more inspired working from life and right. i feel well being out there and experiencing it i mean there's something like you're talking about capturing the poetry or the beauty of something that maybe somebody would walk past and not notice and it's you're there and you're yeah, experiencing and you it, it and that's like breathing the air you know smells the, the sounds yeah. and all that i mean not always a good thing the but bugs uh, well even that like you. kind of india man kind of a sewer you smell in florence india? but yeah, i love you're, you're so well traveled <laughs> you are well traveled it's so annoying sorry the now what i wanted to say though is that when you work from life you get there's such a vast amount of information that you can synthesize down into what is important to you right working from photos i find that the the photo makes a lot of the decision the camera mm. makes those decisions for you and you don't have i find i talk about that a lot teaching is that like you're given like if you're figure painting uh you're given this barrage of information you have to sort through it and figure out what what's meaningful to you and that's why your painting might be radically different from the person right next to you who's painting the same model and they both might be equally accurate, but they're radically different paintings because what's, you know, the things that you choose to emphasize or the things that you choose to really, uh, to highlight in your painting are different from the things that I choose to highlight in my painting. And what's also important is the passage of time. If you're working from life, as time changes, the light changes and stuff, that you're gonna end up with different effects and yeah. what might be important to you. You might have liked the overcast day and we, pref you know, I prefer the, you know, when it was blue sky and everything was much cooler. So right. I think that, to you're me... trying to say you're cooler than me. <laughs> <laughs> I think working from life, especially yes, outdoors where you get, you know, the clouds changing and things moving. Right. And and you get to pick your moment when yeah. the things work the best and when mm -hmm. it... I remember looking when we were painting in Italy together, I don't know, a few years ago, uh, looking at Joe McGurl's paintings and just feeling like he had taken like distilled the the scene into like two or three really important things and highlighted those things and everything else was beautifully painted but kind of sat back and the effect was 
you know, this, the light hitting this terracotta roof and the sky, you know, didn't compete, nothing competed with that terracotta, everything kind of led into that. Mm-hmm. And just feeling like that was such an incredible lesson to look at the, the simplicity with which he, I mean, incredibly complex paintings, but the simplicity with which he kind of expressed the two or three things that stood out to him. And, and I think the best art is that really it's a, you know, you're simplifying down to the important elements right. and, you know, expressing that too. Is speed important to you when you're out on, on, in the bush? You know, speed is, <laughs> has always, I do these landscape painting courses and the first day I give an hour long demonstration and I don't want to waste their time. So I shoot through a painting in an hour and I say to them the whole time, don't do I'm going to do this in an hour, but, but you, you don't, don't do, do this. this in an hour. Because to me, I think. If you work very slowly and very accurately, later on, you'll keep the accuracy and you'll get fast. You'll get faster. If you work fast without the accuracy, you'll, you'll never, never double get the back accuracy. And, yeah. Now, do you do something? Do you have a, um, a routine like I work the background first and work from background forward? Or does it really Yeah, this matter? came from Cecil. I guess he got it from Gamel and came from Paxton. But we always key the sky first. Yeah. You key the but sky. Well, I paint the ocean a lot and the... The whole everything is determined by the sky, sky, and I think in landscape in general, that's like the sky is setting the tone for everything. So you get that first, and it's also it changes the most quickly. So, yeah, and you have to key off it. I mean, so much of good landscape painting is this compression of values, you know, and so you squint down, and the and once you get the the sky, and you key all the the horizon and everything off of that, you know, you're squinting down. That the sky is almost always the brightest thing. I mean, when you're painting these little apes and you know, or something, uh, the Cinquecento, if it's going to move, <laughs> you tend to, you paint that first. But <laughs> otherwise, it's always the sky first. Right. And I often, I mean, even my little sketches, I'll go back a second or a third day if I need to. I'm not... Do you go back at the same exact time? You yeah, know, that definitely. Whole thing where I, I remember doing a couple, uh, doing some landscape paintings, and if you were out there for the whole day, you'd have like three paintings, and you would work them... You know, you go back the next day or whatever, and you work them, you know, from 9 to 12, you work the first one. From 12 to 3, you work the second the second one and the third. Um, <clears throat> and I, um, but I always thought about, like, when you go back for doing the big version, let's say, taking all the sketches and all the the notes and going back and doing, like, the, the final, do you only work on it for three hours a day or something like that? I mean, like I say, it completely depends on... If you paint something north-facing, you can really spend... You can be out there for a while. Yeah, six or seven hours. I got 13 hours in Maine once on a foggy day. It was, like, totally consistent. It was amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, and then at sunrise and sunset, you'll get half an hour. Yeah. If you're lucky. So, it really depends on on the time of day. I mean, so uh, in that case, when you're doing, like, when you know you have a half an hour, do you sit there and draw really quickly before you know that perfect moment is? Yeah. So you get it all in. Yeah, that's I like remember painting I, into the effect. You yeah. Were, I used to do it on a piece of tracing paper, and I would do the, the, the basic shapes really quickly. So I knew I can almost, like, hit the back of the tracing paper with some oil and transfer it five times if I need to just for the... Because I didn't want to work on drawing at all. I just wanted to get notes. So I'd... Tra- almost like transfer it really quickly and then hit it bump 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 next one like half an hour later bump 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 and just transfer it's like church and icebergs sight size doesn't <laughs> that's why i mean you can just paint really fast for some you're... of those things i've actually like just kind of given up on the drawing i i like i do a lot of uh sunset paintings or sunrise paintings at the ocean and 
I mean, everything's moving so fast that I, I, you know, for a lot of them, I've just given up on trying to draw it. And I just put little like notes of color notes. down and, notes you know, I don't, I don't really don't care if it like, but that's the thing, this idea of painting out of the effect, you put the notes down and then you do the drawing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. So then I'll, I'll go and do another drawing and I'll try and kind of paint that color into in a, in a studio painting usually in the winter when I can't be on the beach. I think it's important to have, you know, more than one technique because you never, especially when you're out in the landscape, it's always, you never know what, what it's going to throw at you. So to be able to get what you want down on canvas and having a a few different ways to get to that, to the end goal is, um, I always thought was helpful for me. No, for me, it's the opposite. I would rather have just one technique. I said one technique (laughs) is always the Because then I know exactly what I'm going to do. And then you can apply it to whatever you want. I always, I, I, I I always like that little bit of like the gunslinger thing. Like, Hey, I can do it this way. I could do it that way. I don't know. As I get older, I get lazier and I just, I want something that works. Do you see like going in different directions or are you, you know, like, are there things that you sort of dream of doing that you haven't or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, you know, the, like I say, painting the world around me and and seeing, and I think there's definitely, I'd like to start expressing ideas I have about our society and our culture a bit more. Um, Political paintings? (laughs) <laughs> Very please don't do subtly please don't do social that. realism. I beg, yeah. Mark, Mark D'Alessio, I beg you not to do political paintings, no, no. please. No one's going to recognize their political paintings Good. except me. What do you think of, you know, I was going to ask you, what do you think of like the Hudson River School painters? I love their stuff. Because they definitely had, I mean, they did these amazing paintings, but they, they, they had very deep ideas in these paintings. Yeah, I mean... Honestly, I'm more mostly familiar with Bierstadt. Or mm. is he count as a Hudson River? Yeah, or? yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I love his stuff. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I don't know much about what their ideas were. <laughs> Ted does. Ted, Ted politics. Ted, Ted's I like mean, a, I an think that was very religious. Yeah, it exactly. Religious. And I think that they were, you know, maybe along the lines of like Rousseau, like finding kind of God in nature. I think that there was but a lot But at the of same that. time, there was, they had a very scientific approach to... Super scientific. Yeah. They were definitely like juggling both, where I think they had this faith-based thing, but they were all about understanding, science to... like knowing every tree, why things grew the way they grew and all that. It was pretty fascinating when you read up on them that they were they were deep deep thinkers and they made amazing work when you look at like churches paintings and all that it's just like i mean yeah. some of the best landscapes ever no i, I think it's a totally valid uh, approach <laughs> <laughs> the paintings are amazing so. <laughs> you heard it here first suggested donation podcast <laughs> mark delessi you're the best <laughs> no, i mean uh, i don't know to me i think one thing I don't like so much about the Hudson River School is that they worked in the studio. Yeah. yeah. What I love about Isaac Levitan's work, and I actually think a lot more of his stuff in the studio than I realized, but I, and, or Soroya. Right. You know, the fact that these guys were taking big canvases outside, spending months or years on them, yeah. and producing work that looks like it was 
you know, one shot. Done it's got quickly. that like yeah, freshness. Yeah. That's awesome. that Saroya yeah. was like yeah. the master of that. Uh, I mean, that's sort of that's what I would really love to do with my work is to get larger and keep this wonderful that freshness. And I mean, you have an ability and, to capture like the particulars, like the the color, the feel of a place, like I mean, nobody it, I've ever seen. I feel like there's a lot of in our in the you know in the art world or our art world today. There's this. Um, the use of technology for, you know, people are interested in using technology for fo- using the photograph or projector computer. or mm-hmm. computer okay. or this kind of stuff. Whereas what interested me about using technology was this idea of like putting a, a panel on the side of a, a large car. canvas on right. the side of a car. Using I mean, a car as an to, easel. To enable you to do... <laughs> To work. The thing that you want to do, yeah. which is to be in the welding, moment. isn't exactly like high technology. <laughs> yeah. But it, that's it's interesting the, that you want technology just so you can sort of have the freedom to observe and yeah, and to and, work from outside. I do think that there, you, the highest art is that that's done from life, where the artist is there and and experiencing the stuff and and that emotion. I mean, you are trying to express yeah. an idea that I think you really. If you're there on site and that is coming through you, I think it'll be the the strongest. It's like an athletic endeavor too. I mean, like you're out there, you're fighting the elements a little bit, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I prefer I mean, not to fight that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I definitely think what you're talking about when it's done well, it's it shows. You could just see it, and and without sounding super corny, but like you could see it in the painting, and you're just like, yeah, you can just tell like emotionally that this person, you know, got it and they were there. And even, I mean, like Soroya probably did a lot of that stuff in the studio, but he spent so much time outside doing it from mm. life. Making little them. kids get sunburned so yeah. he could <laughs> paint them Stand in the water. Stand still! Yeah. God, have you ever tried painting kids on the beach? I tried this summer. No, well, not. No, no I don't want to try that. that. It's just... I've tried painting adults on the beach. That's hard enough. I can't even chase my little daughter. Like when she's at the beach, like I'm exhausted. Yeah, and they're all over imagine. the place. Well, when you're responsible, <laughs> I don't want her to drown. You know, like <laughs> just no. Anyway, so so what's on the horizon? What's next? Um, just uh, more traveling and painting. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds um, like a good life, Mark D'Alessio. Traveling and painting. I th- I don't think it gets much better than that, really. Uh, when you think about it. Uh, <laughs> Anyone can do it. So, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very thankful of the way um, things have worked out right now. So I think it's pretty good. Well, I love your work. I think uh, when when um, when Ted told me that you were in town, I was like, you got to get Mark on. He's uh, he's he's a fan favorite. Okay. So thank hey, you very wanna, much. Thanks wanna, for having me. Yeah, thank thanks you for coming and coming here. And uh, great to see you guys. Yeah, I look forward <laughs> to you know keeping in touch on the internet. And I always um, love checking out you know what you post whether yeah. it's on Facebook or whether whether it's on your blog and you should um you know check out Mark's stuff um follow what is that pretty much just your I mean you have your blog and yeah the Facebook? blog's probably the best place the blog or your Facebook you kind of link to the blog usually and yeah, yeah. there's always like seven or eight amazing new sketches from wherever you are so yeah, some you I also, ha- you had a, uh, I have like a little clip-on light that I've been using for night painting that you had like a blog post about the Mighty Bright Light. And uh, Yeah, I, try, I wrote to them and amazing. tried to get them to make it a slightly... Less blue? Yeah. It's pretty blue. And uh, yeah, and you end up with orange paintings. Yeah, right. and yeah. I've done the, the mu- same. <laughs> but the musicians don't care what color no, they are. No, we're, so we're I, yeah. They put me on the blog and they wrote me back saying that they're 
scientists were working on it. <laughs> we got the we'll eggheads on it. <laughs> <laughs> but, anyway. Uh, anyways, yeah, Montenegro, 2016. Hey, 2016. We'll, uh, show um, these Ruskies how we do it. Woo! You should show them what, you know, how Americans do it. But uh, <laughs> uh, soon we're going to all go paint. Or Croatia. Yeah, Croatia is beautiful. Dubrovnik. Coast is stunning. Hey, Mark, thanks for coming. You're the best. Okay. Thank you thanks so for much. Having me, guys. And right. thank the Salmon Gundy Club Same. for hosting us. Thanks. And thank you, Jay Braun. Braun, 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 Braun. Hello. A unicorn. You got to get close to the mic. You got to get right on it. Get in there. Don't be scared of the mic, it won't bite you.